It is good to be with you again today. We are going to remain in Philippians this week, and we're going to be praying, or we're going to be, or I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 14. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. There's a theology nowadays that's really running rampant, uh, and it's growing momentum, and it has been growing momentum for quite some time, and that is the theology of prosperity. And the problem with the, with the theology of prosperity is, is that it gives us this belief that if I give to God, then God owes me a nice house, a couple of cars in the driveway, or depending on how you give, you might give enough that God you know, should give you a house that has a garage. So whether the, the cars are in the driveway or in the garage, we believe that he or that we deserve, uh, you know, the nice cars or trucks. We also believe in this process or this theology teaches that we also should have a nice bank account. So, I don't know if whenever you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you were one of those ones that at that moment in time people came to you and said, oh man, your life is going to be blessed and God is going to take care of you and He's going to give you everything that you need and He's going to fulfill all the things that your heart desires. Did you all hear that? Well, you most probably did. I heard it. And it wasn't until later on that I heard the passage of Scripture about suffering with Christ. Because, see, that's what happens with this prosperity theology is, is that we miss the idea or that thought process that in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we will and we must suffer. How many of you have heard the fact that if you are not going through a struggle in your life now, you need to search your heart and turn it over to God because Satan already has you. You've heard that? Something similar to that? Uh, you know, because the, our thought process is, is that if, or that the thought process behind that is, is that if you aren't struggling, then Satan already has you. But if you were following Jesus Christ, you are suffering because Satan is trying to get you out of the hands of Christ. Don't really know where you are with that philosophy. I'm not there. Good people suffer right along with bad people. Bad people have good days right along with good people. It doesn't have anything to do whether or not Satan is battling for our lives or not because he always is. And if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he's working even harder. But Paul is going to talk to us about this. There's three things that we receive from suffering with Christ. And hopefully, we'll get there today. I was a little long-winded this morning, so let's hope that we can stay on task. 
But in this, we look at this, and I want us to turn there. Hopefully, I've given you enough time to find Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4. I'm going to be reading to you from the New Living Translation. If you have another translation, the New Living Translation will be for you on the wall or on the screens so that you can follow along with us. Paul starts out here, it says, Though I could have confidence in my own efforts, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. So that gives us this understanding that Paul is dealing with some things within the church. Now, there again, this is a letter that is written to the church in Philippi, to the Philippians. So Paul is talking here, and let's go to verse 1 to see why Paul is going to give the church or to give us this information. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. So he's given them this so that they could safeguard their faith, so that it would be something to help them to grow within their faith. Verse 2, he says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil. So Paul is writing these things, and he is writing to them again, or he is telling us again what we need to do and the things as far as how we are supposed to live because or so that our faith would grow, so it would safeguard us in the times of struggles or in the times of tribulation that we know that the church was going through. But there are evil people that have snuck into the church that is trying to destroy this church or cause a division in this church. So Paul is giving them this information so that they would safeguard their hearts and be able to walk in this relationship with Christ and that they would be able to be stronger because of it. So, verse 5, Paul then goes in, and Paul is going to give us seven items that he could, if anyone else could, have confidence within himself because of these seven things. It says, I was circumcised whenever I was eight days old. So we'll pause there for a moment and let's talk about this. No, we're not. Let's go ahead and read on. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So that's three things for you right there. And it says a Hebrew of if ever there was one. So that's four. Uh, I was a member of the Pharisees. That's five, and I was, and I obeyed the Jewish law. That's, and then it says I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. So number six would be his zealousness for God 
or his zeal for protecting the law. And it says, and as far as righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Obeying the law without fault would be the seventh item that Paul has that he can list that says, I have confidence within this. So I want us to see and understand that the reason why Paul comes up and says that he was circumcised with eight days, because the people that were creating the strife and creating the issues would have been someone that had converted to Judaism, therefore they would have been circumcised at a later age or as an adult. So Paul is saying that I have been circumcised or I was circumcised at the age of eight. And then he says, I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. So he is an Israelite that has been circumcised on the eighth day. And then he says that not only that, but I am born of the tribe of Benjamin. And the key thing to the tribe of Benjamin is, is that is where their first king came from. Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin, and that is most probably where Paul received his name. Remember Saul, King Saul? So he's saying here that not only was I born a Hebrew and circumcised on the eighth day of my birth, I had done these things. I am a pure-blooded Israelite, which would give us the indication that both of his parents were Israelites. And then it moves on and it says that I was born from the tribe of Benjamin. And then from there it says a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. The New Living, or that's from the New Living Translation, the NIV translation would give you that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, which would give you a double meaning, which would say that both of his parents were Hebrews. But it would also give us this understanding that Paul, because of him and his lifestyle that he lived, that he did not partake of any of the Greek customs or the Roman customs or religious customs. He stood fast to the Hebrew customs that had been from the beginning. So Paul didn't take on the culture of the world. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. But then we find this word that Paul was a Pharisee. And we know that the Pharisees are the ones that maintained or interpreted the law of God. And they're the ones that wrote and upheld the laws that they had created even afterwards. And he does these things. And then his zeal for God. That he refused to see Jesus Christ as the Messiah and was persecuting the followers of the way. But then he says that he obeyed the law without fault. In obeying the law without fault, Paul gives us this indication that all seven of these items were things that he did or he could do as a human. That his righteousness and his uh, you know, ability to have confidence within himself was all that within himself. We do that today. 
the prosperity aspect says that I get all of these things because of what I have done and what I have given to God. God owes me these things because I have turned over my life to Him. It's a rose garden that we have as Christians in this life. I have to be honest with you. There are times that as a pastor, I struggle with these things. I gave up my life for Christ, just as you. I answered the call in the ministry. If anyone should be blessed, it should be a pastor, right? Because he has to put up with all of you people. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we have that attitude. If we're honest with ourselves, there are moments and times in our lives that we struggle and we say, God, I gave you this. I deserve this. Man, we talk to people that received Christ as their Lord and Savior, and we tell them, and I've made the comment, as God has given to you, you need to give to God. We also say that if you tithe, Scripture tells us to test me in this, to tithe, and if you tithe, I will multiply that tithing. Right? How many times have you put money into the offering plate and then you walked away and you said, I hope God really blesses me with more money today? Come on, I see people shaking their head. I know I'm not the only dummy that's ever done it. I know good and well that whenever the preacher stands up here and he says, you know, we have this need in the church and we need to take up a love offering today. And you put money in the love offering. You're like, God, okay, you know that this is my lunch money for this week. I need you to bless me and give me that bag. We do it. Quit laughing. That's what we're dealing with. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, if there's any way, if there's any reason that I have to be able to boast, I should be able to boast more than anybody else. I know that there's people, no, no, there's not people in this church. There's not people in this church that gave a large sum of money and said, see God, look what I did. Right? The church that I used to pastor at, not the other church, not the church that you're thinking about, paid off our mortgage five years ahead of time because of people graciously giving. And whenever we burnt the copy of the deed that was given to the church, the title, I preached on that. Just because you gave more to pay off this church doesn't mean that God owes you anything. See, we have to understand that just because we gave our lives to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He owes us absolutely nothing. He gives us, as a free gift, 
salvation. But he owes us absolutely nothing. We need to move on. As in, I need to move on through the scripture. But we as believers need to move on and understand that what we receive from Jesus Christ, everything that we receive, is a gift. And it is not because we have done anything. My crown in heaven will be no bigger than the janitor's crown here at this church. Where was I at? Did I end it with verse 6? Let's go to verse 7. It says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. And because one, and become one with him, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on our faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. You get that? I want to know or I want to experience Christ, experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And then here's something interesting for us. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or the other, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Wow. Paul said it. I want to suffer with Christ. How many of you are going to volunteer to get on the I want to suffer bus today? Nobody? Paul said it. He goes, yeah, hey, I want to get on this bus. I want to suffer for Christ. But he wants to suffer for Christ in sharing in his death so that he would be able to be raised from the dead. Let's go back and look through these. See, we we look at this and we see this and all the things that Paul talked about that he would be able to have confidence in. We get this understanding if you're If you remember back to your childhood, you have to one-up your friend, right? 
your friend has this, you have to have this. Your, your friend accomplished this, you have to accomplish this. Sometimes I have that problem. I'll be standing there talking with somebody and they talk about how they had this difficult thing here and, and then immediately something pops into my mind that was a little bit more difficult than that and, and I have to say it. So Paul is here and Paul is saying that, oh, you know, I can one-up you. You've been circumcised, but you were circumcised as an old person. I was circumcised eight days into my life. Oh, if, yeah, if that, that's great. You know, I'm glad that you entered into Judaism and you believe the way that we believe. But I was born an Israelite. I'm one of God's chosen people. Whoops. I'm one of God's chosen people. You're not. Not only that, but I'm actually from the tribe of Benjamin. Which, that makes me really great because the king, the first king of our uh, nation, of this great nation, came from the tribe that I was born from. I'm even named after him. Can you hear the haughtiness within Paul's voice? And then all of a sudden, Paul changes and he says, Once those things meant a lot to me, but now they don't. Now they're, they're like garbage. The, uh, the Greek translation of that word should actually be filth. That, that I see all of those things as being filth. Just popped into my head. How many of you have little dogs and stuff that you, that you bathe? You bathe your dog comes out of the bathtub and he shakes to dry off or she shakes to dry off as you got the towel over them trying not to get any wetter than what you already are and you let them out and what do they do they go find the best place the dirt pile or whatever and they just simply start wallowing around in it right Mm. all cleaned up so we can go get dirty again Because we are righteous within our own selves, because we are seen righteous in our own eyes because of the things that we have done. Paul says, that's garbage. That's filth. I I don't know about you, but I I don't like, I, I have a phobia of things that jump out at you. Now, I know that lizards can't hurt you. They, they won't hurt you. But as a child, I, you know, you see those videos and stuff on Facebook or on America's Funniest Videos where a lizard jumps from one person to another person. And that lizard jumped on me. And I, whoo, man, I started screaming. Oh, man, I just, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. I was in the swimming pool at the, but, you know, the worst thing, worst thing of all things it has to be those camel crickets. Y'all know camel crickets, right? Uh, you know, they're unnatural looking to begin with. A, a cricket is supposed to be dark brown with a long body that you can put this little hook in right behind its head and you can catch brim with, right? That's what, that's what a cricket is supposed to look like. But these camel crickets, they're just a light tan. They got a really short body and long legs. And they love to live in dark places. 
oh man, whenever I was a custodian and I'd have to go into the boiler rooms, oh Lord, all those camel crickets, I couldn't handle them being on me. One of them jumped on my head one day and I like to kill myself trying to get out of that, out of that boiler room. Oh my goodness, how you go? that is what Paul is talking about. It is something that whenever it gets on you, that it just simply absolutely disgusts you so much that you have to get away from it. He says, I see this as filth. This is garbage. There is no righteousness within this. The only thing that I find righteous is living through Jesus Christ. Living through Him. It says, I want to see, I want to experience Jesus Christ. I become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. For Christ, or faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So let's think about this. Paul is here. He's told us all these things that he has that he can boast about. And then he says, but all of those things are garbage. It's filth. I want to receive righteousness from a relationship with Jesus Christ. From knowing Jesus Christ. Having faith in Jesus Christ. See, it's this process. Whenever you pray and God answers your prayers, you pray more, right? Whenever you pray and you ask God to help you through this struggle and He helps you through the struggle, you're going to pray for it again, right? Shake it. Yes, amen, whatever, come on. Because we do that. See, we struggle praying because we don't see answers from our prayers, because we pray amiss, or we're not patient enough to see the answers or wait for the answers, or he answers in a manner that we don't want him to answer. So we keep praying about it. But our prayer weakens because we don't see or hear him answer that prayer. But whenever he answers the prayer, whoo, that's like lighting a fire underneath us, right? Whenever we walk through a struggle and we see God's hand upon us in the struggle, it gives us courage so that we can walk through the next struggle. Our faith grows because he answers the prayer or he helps us through the struggle. And we see it. And we acknowledge it. Oh, come on, guys. Man, y'all really need to get aboard this morning. Man, this is some good stuff here. Whenever we think about this, I cannot do, I I read this. I'm going to read this. I didn't quote this. I didn't read this for this morning. But I'm going to read this for you. It says, you, you will trust God only as much as you love Him. And you will love Him not because you have studied Him. You will love Him because you have touched Him. In response to His touching you. 
The only way that you can love him and make that final leap into darkness is if you experience his touch. You experience him moving and working in your life. Not someone else's life. It's great to see God working in other people's lives, right? But it is wonderful to see him working in yours. It excites you and it gives you confidence. But it is confidence within Jesus Christ, not you. Because you are not the one that does the work. It is Jesus Christ within you that does the work. See, it's the paradox that I talked about last week. The paradox that Paul talked about as far as us working out our salvation in fear and trembling. But the work that we do is not our work, but it's the work of Jesus Christ that's in us. So we have to work, but it's not us working, it's Christ working within us. I have confidence because of what has happened in my life, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done within me. And because of what he has done within me, all of the things of my past, all of the things of this world is disgusting to me. It's filth. It's garbage. Because of what Christ has done in and through me. Wow. So, Christ is working in us. He's moving in our lives. We have evidence and we see it. And then God asks us to do something more difficult than before. What do we do? What do we do? See, whenever we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He enters into our life. And then later on, as we grow and we get to understanding, we, we ask Him to become Lord of our lives and we are sanctified with Christ. And He now lives within us and He guides us and He directs us and His Spirit moves in us and it guides us, directs us, teaches us, and it strengthens us because of the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Right? But then He comes up to you and He says, John, that tobacco that you do, I, I need you to turn that loose. Uh-oh. Am I going to turn it loose or am I going to hold on to it? Am I going to do what God has and what God is asking me to do? If I look back and I think about it, He's going to provide for me. He's going to provide the exact same thing that this tobacco was providing for me. Oh, golly. Pastor, you just really stepped into it. Why, why does most people smoke cigarettes? My, my mom and dad told me. They, they dealt with it all their life. My dad did. He was... Three years non-smoking whenever he passed away. Struggled with it all the way through. Whenever I take a smoke, 
it calms my nerves. Whenever I take a sip of alcohol, it calms my nerves. Whenever I pop a pill, it calms my nerves. It settles me down. If we trust in God to provide for us, and we give that up because he's asked us to give it up, will he not provide what that has been giving to us? See, we, we try to do all this on our own. Uh, you know, those things that I mentioned, they're not the only things. Uh, you know, we, we reach out to work. There, there is something called and there is something that, uh, you know, workaholic. During this pandemic, one of the things that we see and that we deal with and, and the things that I struggle with, deal with it, work. I can hide from the struggles and stuff by coming to the office and working. I love my wife to death. I spent two and a half weeks vacation with her. I spent almost two weeks on the beach with her. Thought that I would go stir crazy and I thought we would kill each other because uh, we've never had that long of a vacation. But if I'm honest, there's times that I come to work so that I don't have to spend time with her. Does that hurt? Because we don't trust God enough. We don't trust Him. We, we still hold on to these things. And I struggle. You know, the bank account. I don't know how many of you do not struggle financially. Hopefully there's somebody in here that's just a billionaire. And they're going to take care of all of us, right? All of us have some type of a struggle financially. God says, give it to me. Trust me with it. Trust me with it. Don't give your tithe expecting him to give you money back. Give your money to the church or give your money as a tithe and allow God to use it in the manner that he deems it to be used. That is the same way if, if, you pull, if you pull up to a red light and this guy comes walking up to you saying that I'm homeless or I'm jobless and I'll work for money. You give him the money and back in the back of your mind you're going to be like, oh man, he's going to go buy more alcohol with that. Or what hits me is, is man, he most probably has a better house than I have. But if God tells you to give him the money, you give him the money and you leave it alone. There's people in the church today that give the money to the church, but then they tell the church what they're supposed to do with it. That's not an offering. I'm meddling, I'm through meddling. No, I'm not. (laughs) 
verse 12. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I have focus but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize of which God, through Christ Jesus, has called us. Something just really came, in, just came into my mind. If you ride motorcycles, you might understand what I'm talking about. They will tell you in your class, as far as in getting your license to ride a motorcycle or drive a motorcycle, that if you don't look, you can't get there. So if you're in a turn and you don't look to where you're turning, you will never turn that motorcycle to that place. That's why there's so many. There's a lot of motorcycle riders and stuff will go straight through a curve because they get fixated on one thing that's beyond that curve and they will never make the turn. Paul is telling us here and he is showing us here That the things of the past have to be in the past. And we have to look to the future. Or we have to look forward. If we're not looking forward, we will never get there. As in, if we're not looking towards Jesus Christ for our salvation and for our righteousness and for our faith, we will never make it to heaven and receive the the crown of gold that He has called us to. We must be looking towards Jesus Christ for our righteousness and for all the things that we receive and that we have if we are looking anywhere else we will fall short of the goal. So whenever we look at this, as as God continues to grow our faith, we continue to grow in our confidence. But it's in our confidence with Him so that we can have a steadfast gaze Upon Jesus Christ. I said it last week and I'm going to say this again. This world is not going to get any better. If you feel the persecution and the struggles are difficult today. They're not going to get any better. And if we can't keep our gaze on Jesus Christ as our strength and as our confidence, then we will not make it to the end. Through our lives, Jesus is trying to show us. And we're trying to, he's trying to give us the strength that we need. Remember, Paul says that I'm telling you this again so that you would safeguard your faith. 
I'm telling you today that if we do not gaze upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will not make it to the end. If we do not have our faith in Jesus Christ, then we will not make it to the end. So today, if he's asking you to relinquish, to give up something, to trust in him more today, I want you to look and to think about all those times that he's helped you through those struggles before. Not so that we stay there. Not so that we asked him to do it again, but so that we look back and we say, he took me through that one. I know he's going to take me through this one. He provided for me here. I know that he's going to provide for me here. And our faith continues to grow. So that whenever he comes to you and he knocks on your heart's door and he says, I need for you to be a youth director or I need for you to be a Sunday school teacher or I need for you to work with the children's department or I need for you to build a playground back here in the back of the church this coming Saturday at 10 o'clock, then you're going to answer that call and you're going to say yes because of the work that you have done in my life. Did y'all catch that announcement that I just slid right in there? See, the things that God's asking us to do today, He's proven that He will provide for us in those days past. But I want us to remember something. Paul tells us not to look to the past, but to focus on what's to come. God is not a God of yesterday. He's a God of today and tomorrow. Yes, he was here yesterday, and he was always, and he always will be, but he is not doing the same things that he did yesterday. He's doing new things today, and he's going to do something new tomorrow. But if we're not looking to today or tomorrow, and our eyes are in yesterday, we'll miss it. It's just like the motorcycle. If you're not looking through that curve, you'll never make it through that curve. If our eyes are not on Jesus Christ, we'll never make it. I told y'all that I would give you three things that we receive from the power or from suffering through Christ. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to close really quick for you, okay? So the first thing that we do is that we receive you know, power through the resurrection because we have a new life. Through Jesus Christ. It's a new life. It's not a remake of the old. It's a new life. We also receive power because we are participating within the suffering that Jesus Christ participated in. So in other words, we have commonality with Jesus Christ through the suffering because we are suffering the same way that he suffered. Because we're suffering with him. Commonality. The only way that we can have unity, the only way that we can have peace, is if we have commonality with Jesus Christ through his suffering that we share alike. And the third thing is, through this suffering, 
we are able to suffer with Christ all the way to death because of his death on the cross. Because of his death on the cross, we no longer die. You can say that we change addresses. We now have a new zip code. Whenever you breathe your last here on this earth, you breathe your first in heaven because of the suffering with Christ. Because of Him living within us. Keep your gaze upon Christ. As Susan and Kelly are coming forward, I'd ask that each one of you would stand. The altar is going to be open for you this morning. Because we look at this and where we are, we're, we're not at the end. Each and every one of us are still standing here today breathing, right? So there's still a task and there's still more left in this race that God has before us. But if we do not set our gaze upon Him and follow Him, then we will never be able to make it. Susan and Kelly are going to sing, The Longer I Serve Him. And as they sing this song, listen to the words and respond. Because the longer that we serve Him, the sweeter that He grows. Because we still have service. There is still something that He has for us to do here on this earth. That's why we're still here. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Set your gaze upon God, upon Jesus Christ. Listen to the words. I started for the kingdom since my life he controls since I gave my heart to Jesus the longer I serve him the sweeter he grows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more that I love him, more love he bestows. Each day is like
struggles that we face today, He is the one that will provide for each and every one of them. The stronger that, or the longer that we live, the stronger He should get within our lives. And the more and more we should become like Christ. Being Christ Himself. Amen. Amen. I have a few announcements that I need to make. One of the announcements that I have is there is a flyer. The Church of Clover is doing a prayer uh, today, and it begins at 3 o'clock. It's going to be an outside prayer, and the flyer that they have says, No political agenda. All people, all faith are invited to come and to pray. It says, Bring your lawn chair, snacks, and drinks. Just simply come and experience a time of prayer for this nation and for the people that you know and that needs you. So that begins at 3 o'clock this afternoon at the Clover Church of the Nazarene. Also, this coming Saturday, October the 31st, is our fall festival. Shh. Fall festival. Now, there's some mix-up on times. All right. So I'm going to ask our children's director... I am saying 5 o'clock because I know that the bands that will be playing for us, they're going to start at 5 o'clock, okay? So the games and the candy giving away and stuff like that, I don't know when it's starting. All right. Can everybody hear me? No.
That's too much time. We also need more trunks, right? We need more trunks and tailgates. We need more trunks and tailgates to pass out candy. So please come and be involved in all of that. Um, Also, next Sunday, November 1st, is daylight savings time. Fall back so we get an extra hour of sleep. Set your clocks so that you're not late. But if you normally come to the 9 o'clock service and you're late, that's okay because you'll be just on time for the second service. And you can join us in on that one. Uh, you know, but please, uh, you know, set your clocks back for that. That's only the first. Starting November the 2nd, that is a Wednesday, we will start back Wednesday night prayer meetings. Okay, that's, this, that's the first Wednesday in November. That's November the 4th. And we'll run it for three weeks in November in two weeks in December, before the year end, year, before this year ends, and we will see how things go from there. November 4th begins at 6 o'clock, Wednesday night prayer group. Okay? Thank you. God bless. And I'll close this in our benediction. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you, dear Lord, so much for this day. God, I thank you for the word that you have given to us. God, I pray, dear Lord, that your face would shine upon each one that is here and that your blessings from heaven will be poured out on them throughout this week. Amen.